Welcome to the Elevated Performance Podcast. We are current physical therapy students dedicated to helping our listeners elevate themselves through school, business, and fitness. Let's level up. All righty, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Elevated Performance Podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm Tony. Press. And uh, on today's episode, we got a very special guest, uh, Julian Bird. He's a personal trainer, student physical therapist at Drexel. And um, yeah, we'll go ahead and kick it over to him. You can tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of where you're at um, in school and um, career-wise. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So first off, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is, uh, this is pretty exciting. I've uh, been wanting to do podcast for a while. Hopefully I'll have my own someday. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm a third year DPT student with, uh, with Chris over at Drexel. Um, so a personal trainer. I don't do it in person anymore. I do mostly online coaching. Um, use Google Sheets online, uh, train some bodybuilders, powerlifters, other athletes, people getting into fitness. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. Just waiting to get uh, the boards done, get my doctorate and get out there. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess I could ask why and how did you get into personal training? Like what started you on a path that you're on? So um, <clears throat> I played sports when I was younger, but I uh, kind of fell out of it in middle and high school. And I was basically became the, the funny fat kid in my middle and high school years. <laughs> I like made more than I do now, but a very different shape. Um, <clears throat> so kind of got into fitness. I had some stuff happen in my life in high school. It made me, gave me a new perspective. And so I got into fitness and lifting in college and um, took anatomy for the first time and fell in love with it. And uh, that's kind of when I started looking into that realm. I took nutrition, um, really liked it. <clears throat> and uh, I had never gotten A's in school before. I always kind of struggled. Like I, wasn't, I didn't struggle to understand concepts. I just didn't really have any drive. And so uh, finding anatomy was really like the first time I had a passion for anything. The first time I actually got straight A's. So that's when I set my sights on getting my doctorate. But in, while I was going through the motions of that, got a job at a local gym, decided I wanted to be a trainer, got my certification while I was going to Temple. Um, yeah. Cool. Where are you from, Julian? Bucks County, Pennsylvania. It's like an hour okay. and a half out of Philadelphia. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'll ask the next question. So there's, there seems to be like some, you know, stereotype with personal trainers that you guys are all just like super big, huge shoulders, um, don't like to do cardio. How true is that? And how true is, um, how, how much would you say it's um, the lifting component of personal training versus um, the, the nutrition? <clears throat> so I think personal training is like a very broad category. Um, I do think that there are some stereotypes, but I think that it's mainly based on your perspective and what you've heard through your life or contact you've had with different personal trainers. Cause just working as a personal trainer, I've definitely seen a lot of different types of trainers and everyone has their niche. Um, <clears throat> and it's all what you make of it really. Um, yeah, but what do you think the stereotypical personal trainer is just besides like, uh, you know, they lift a lot. I know a lot of trainers that do cardio. So I don't know if I would label that like the stereotype is that all personal trainers. Dude, when I think about a personal trainer, I literally just think about people 
um, really big dudes walking around LA Fitness. Yeah, like, yeah. They have like <laughs> something up their butt or something, dude. Honestly, and um, like just d- skip leg day, don't do cardio. Yeah, so I think that there are a lot of trainers that are they get into lifting, they like lifting, they like aesthetics or bodybuilding, and so they're like, you know, I want to teach other people, or I think I can make this uh, into a career choice. Um, but I think the most successful trainers that I've seen are people that have a connection with other people and can meet them where they're at. And it's a lot like physical therapy in that way, where it doesn't matter what what you write down on paper or what you think is best. Like, you you know, say it's one of those guys from LA and they got really into lifting. They changed their aesthetics. They built self-confidence from it. And now they they think everybody's big. Right. And so every client they get, they're like, let's go on a hammer strength. And like, that's not really the best for everyone, right? So the most successful trainers, I think, are people that can see where to meet their clients or their patients. And maybe you do cardio, maybe you do circuits, maybe you do supersets, maybe it's two days a week, maybe it's six days a week. It's it's just about meeting them where they're at. But I do think there are stereotypes. I just think it definitely depends on the gym that you go to and the area that you're in, that kind of thing. For sure. And then the sure. follow-up was how important is like nutrition versus uh, like, you know, your exercise prescription weightlifting. I think it depends on your goals. Um, I mean, I think that's everything in, in training and coaching and physical therapy is it all depends on your goals. You know, if they have, if they have problems with nutrition as in like maybe previous eating disorders or they have an unhealthy relationship with food, which, you know, a lot of people do. So it's, it's always good to address that. Um, it depends on what they want. You know, sometimes that's a lot for people to, to think about because there's such an emotional connection to food. Like that it's, especially with people that have eating disorders or they have problems with basically food addiction is that's something that you have to do all the time. You have to eat. It's a, show, it's a social thing. You can't just abstain from it. So it's one of the harder emotional things to address. So sometimes I don't get into that at all with my clients. You know, that's not like, exactly your scope of practice mm-hmm. even if you've had nutrition um like we get some nutrition in in undergrad and going into pt school but it's not like creating diet plans you don't really get into like pathologies of it or anything like that <clears throat> we we really do surface psychology so the most i would recommend from a training perspective is like i'll help people with with tracking macros and tracking calories if they want it but sometimes that's just way too much for a lot of people and it can have the opposite effect. It's kind of like in PT, in, in physical therapy, like if you have a patient come in and you throw them tons of exercises and you tell them to come in four days a week, like that's not going to be realistic and they're never going to come back. So it's the same thing. For sure. Um, I think you brought up a really cool and interesting point um, about establishing a connection with patients and clients. Um, What I've learned just in PT school is, um, every patient, every client is different. So you can't just have a, um, you know, single blueprint of what you're going to do and use it every time. Um, you have to adapt and cater to each patient. And um, the idea of building that connection, I think is something that's really important. And uh, I want to, can you kind of speak to how um, trans, uh, transitioning from in-person to online personal training, uh, how like uh, that transition has been different in building that connection with, uh, with clients? Yeah, so that was, I mean, I thought about it a lot when I first started training that I could connect with more people, like, especially with 
Instagram becoming really popular, like I saw a lot of people becoming successful virtual coaches and didn't really know how to do it. And that was my biggest thing when I first got into coaching was like, how do I make that connection first of all, but also like, there's a lot of talk about form and how important form is and how do you control for that? And that's actually something that come, has come up with every single one of my clients that I've had virtually is one of their biggest concerns is like, how do I know I'm doing it right? And that's, it is a big thing, but I think <clears throat> kind of a trend in physical therapy right now is that form might not matter as much as we think. And we can kind of adapt based on how you move and you might adapt to a different position. We might not be able to optimize that position anyway. So um, yeah, that's a discussion that we can go into a little bit further later on if you want to, but establishing that connection at first was hard because I had to come up with a system of doing that. Um, but I think that the actual screening process that I used as an in-person personal trainer is similar to the one that I use virtually where I'll create a list of questions um, based on who this person is and how they reached out. Maybe I'll text or, or DM some preliminary questions to say, get an idea. But, you know, you ask about their goals, where they're at, their experience level, what kind of equipment they have, especially with COVID right now. That's like a big consideration is do, can you get into a gym? What equipment access do you have? Um, but I think it's, you're able to make that connection, but you have to do a little bit more work to reassure them that you can help them and that, you know, I have to go out of my way a little bit more to make sure we have consistent check-ins and push them a little bit more. When you have in-person training, they're coming to see you consistently. And so you can have that like heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And especially if they've had concerns, they're way more likely to voice that to you in person or over the phone uh, versus just texting. So making sure you're, you're keeping up with that is a big thing and, and keeping up with that connection. Awesome. And just a quick follow-up with that. Uh, did you, uh, did you mention the, uh, the service or app that you're using um, for your personal training? Yeah. So I use Google sheets. Um, <clears throat> I started using that about maybe two years ago and I actually really like it. I mean, I came up with that. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anyone else using it. What I used to use was Evernote. I don't know if you know what that app is, but I would just, like most trainers in the gyms that I've worked at would like write their workouts down for their clients on a piece of paper and then go do it. And then like, maybe you give that to your client, maybe you throw it away. And when I saw that, when I first started training, I was like, this doesn't seem like you can't track anything. And so I started using Evernote, which is just like a notepad on my phone. And that way I could see, you know, what they did last time and see what they're doing this time. And then when I got into the virtual coaching, uh, I started using Google Sheets because it's a live document and I could make, you know, a plan for a week by week, or I could do four to six weeks at a time and lay it out and then do week by week all in different tabs. And they're on the document and I'm on the document at the same time. And whenever they make changes, I can see it. I can write notes and they can see it. I can make live updates. So I really like that system. And plus it's free and you can have a folder system. Like I'll have, you know, notes for everybody that I, for each uh, client that I have, I'll have tabs with phone conversations and the dates that we have. So I can see what we talked about and just, it helps to keep that uh, everything up to date. But yeah, I recommend that for anyone that's going into training or coaching, like even for PT, honestly, I've used it in my first clinical rotation. 
if I had some patients that were doing really well and they were leaving physical therapy and they didn't know what to do in the gym, I would just make a quick program on Google Sheets, invite them to it. And then if they had any concerns in the future, they could write it in there. They wouldn't even have to text me. That's cool, man. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds like a good system that um, really organizes all the information. So how long have you been a personal trainer, Julian? It's five years now. Five years now. Um, can you speak a little bit about how that's maybe changed now that you're a student physical therapist, if it has at all, and how those two worlds kind of combine or contrast? So <clears throat> I think in physical therapy, there's a big disconnect between the physical therapy and the strength and conditioning worlds. Um, I mean, personal training and physical therapy are very, very similar. And I think that's one of the reasons why I got into physical therapy is because I guess, I mean, I got into physical therapy and had my sets, my sights set on that before I got into training, but it just kind of reinforced that, uh, what I wanted to do, because if you have a client in pain, it's very scary. It's like when you have no knowledge about pain or pain science or injury or anything like that, it's, it's like, that's scary. You know, <clears throat> you want the best for your clients and you don't want anything to happen to your business, that kind of thing. So, um, but now going into PT and learning more about it, it's, uh, it's very similar because all that's happening is their threshold is lowered and you're, you're basically doing the same things. You're just doing it in a specific region of the body and you're building it up very gradually. And, you know, the screening process, you hold a lot more responsibility because people have the chance of injuring themselves and there's other things we have to screen for. But other than that, they are, they are very similar. But I do think there is a disconnect just because of the, if you look into the literature, there is, there's not a lot of like, if you look at the recommendations and strength and conditioning for sets per week and like intensity prescription for hypertrophy and muscle growth and adaptations, it's pretty different from what we see in physical therapy. And I think you, we can see that pretty easily when you, when you look at these generic physical therapy programs that people are putting together like 15 exercises and you're doing three sets of each one and they're all with low intensity bands. Like, I'm not sure if that's the most optimal way to induce muscle growth when you look at the strength and con conditioning literature. Yeah, I, do you think that's more to do with like the schools or do you think it's just like what the, like a lot of outpatient clinics look like? Because I feel like in school, like, you know, they did teach us a little bit about, you know, proper sets and reps and, you know, scheduling and frequency. But then when you go out to the clinic, you go to a clinic and all they have is like resistance bands um, and you just kind of fall into this like three sets of 10 kind of model. I think, um, I think a lot, first of all, a lot more research has to be done. Like, I think that a lot, you know, in the past five to 10 years, there has been a lot more research coming out on heavier loading and traditional resistance exercises like leg press squats split squats like anything with free weights um for all different populations you know people at the geriatric po populations uh kids with cp and that's that's pretty new so we need a lot more research to be able to definitively say but like for example i've studied tendinopathy a lot like i've done a lot of projects on tendinopathy i don't think i would consider myself an expert by any means but you know some of the like one of the biggest studies done um they use 12 sets per session three times a week and it's done at a high intensity 
like at least 70% of the one rep max. And that's 36 sets a week. And if you're doing 36 sets a week of any resistance exercise that's loaded adequately, that is on the very, very high end of the strength and conditioning literature. Like if, if we generally see most intermediate lifters doing well with 10 to 12 sets per week as a general recommendation, that's like over three times what people should be doing. And so I see that sometimes when I'm looking at physical therapy literature where, you know, they, they did that study on tendinopathy and they prescribed that many sets, but there's no kind of explanation as to why there's that much volume. Like why didn't they do, you know, four sets per session or so one of it, one, one of the reasons is like, we need to replicate that study. There's not a lot of replication of studies because it's so new. So what if we did that same protocol, the HSR protocol, but with half the volume and see what the outcomes were. We need more studies like that. But I do think that the actual prescription of volume, intensity, specificity um, is, is much more studied in strength and conditioning and not really carried over into physical therapy. And like there's that X factor of pain, which complicates things a lot. Sure. So do you kind of feel like you use uh, the research from the strength and conditioning world more when it comes to exercise prescription? I would say, I mean, that's hard. I would say I use a combination of everything, right? Um, but there's a, there's a guy, Mike Israetel. I don't know if you guys are uh, familiar with him at all, but he's a, he's got his doctorate and he does, he, uh, he's part of Renaissance Periodization, which is a coaching company. And he kind of coined the term maximum recoverable volume, which is how much volume in a microcycle or a mesocycle or whatever that you can recover from. And then also minimum effective dosage, which would be the minimum amount of volume that it takes to cause adaptations. And so I kind of, I like that term. Um, I think that it could be used in physical therapy. And I talked about this in a presentation that Chris and I did recently, where um, we were talking about uh, just, we were talking about shoulder impingement and uh, the exercise prescription for that. And I said to err on the side of minimum effective dosage, because we, as doctors of physical therapy, exercise is our prescribed medicine. And so just like any other doctor that prescribes medicine, we should be prescribing it at the minimum effective dosage to see adaptations because overprescription can have adverse effects from it. So by the same light, we should be erring on the side of the minimum effective dosage for exercise. So like that might be one or two sets of an exercise. You might not need to prescribe a home exercise program. And so I think I take that from the strength and conditioning literature where maybe it's better to err on the low side and make sure you're adequately loading it through intensity and look at those, those uh, other parameters like specificity and frequency instead of just throwing a bunch of sets and exercises at them. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your future plans, long-term, short-term goals. So obviously we're going to graduate um, in June with our doctorate. We're going to be a physical therapist. So how does that play into you continuing or not continuing your personal training? Uh, I think I will probably always keep coaching in some way. Um, I think that there is, as physical therapists, we kind of get people back to baseline, but there are a lot of people that need more after that. And I like being able to help people with that. Like what I was saying on my first clinical rotation that I would kind of transition people from PT into 
a program that they could sustain in the gym. And so I think that I'll be doing that probably forever. Um, Short-term goals, I definitely want to graduate. That would be great. Um, <laughs> studying, studying effectively for the boards, I think that's going to be difficult, but um, that's going to be my priority for the next few months and making sure I do well on that. Yeah. Coaching through that. Um, Long-term goals, I, I mean, just like you said in, that, in your intro podcast, Chris, it seems like every guy goes into PT and they're like, yeah, I want to go into outpatient, I want to work with athletes. And I thought that I'm not sure if I want to after having more experience. I do like connecting with general population. I like being able to pull from my different experiences and try and help like a broader audience. So I'm not sure if I want to specialize in, in athletes. Um, I also have tossed around the idea of owning a gym, owning a practice, something like that. I'm not sure yet. I'll kind of see where the road takes me. Yeah, that the time management might uh, be difficult if you're doing PT full time and also trying to do personal training on the side. Yeah, I mean, I think that when I first started coaching, it was a lot of time, but I've gotten pretty efficient with it. And it's more about implementing a system where I can make sure I'm giving quality coaching time to each one of my clients and limiting the amount of clients to how much time I can give them. You know, like I'm not going to take on 20 clients while I'm working full time because it just wouldn't be quality coaching for each one of them. So for sure. Julian, earlier you talked about how physical therapy is focused on getting people back to baseline. Um, how do you, um, take that and also take some of the like strength and conditioning stuff, maybe for that like uh, kind of end stage, higher level? Uh, well, just like everybody hates to hear this answer in PT school, it definitely depends. <laughs> but to elaborate on, on that a little bit, I mean, I think baseline can be defined differently by each patient, you know, where they want to get back to. Um, and I think as a physical therapist, because we want to help people and because we have a passion for it, we want to make sure they never get hurt again. And so we want to build them up stronger. You know, building up resilience through resistance training is a great way of doing that. And so, you know, just from the patients that I've seen in any setting, the ones that typically have a higher muscle mass have a higher capacity and have a higher capacity for for any type of activity. And so if you're able to integrate resistance training and activity, really any activity, but ideally resistance training into their lives effectively, that's probably going to be the best way to prevent injury or at least minimize the chances of injury in the future. And that's really hard to do. Like from a personal training standpoint, it's hard to get clients because working out sucks. It's hard. It's hard for everyone. And anybody that says that it's easy is lying because there are days I love exercise. I love the way to, that it makes me feel, but sometimes I just leg day. I don't want to do it, man. It's hard. It's heavy. Right. But I've connected the reward system with how I feel to my lifestyle and I've integrated it over time. And that's the key. And I feel like that's the key for our patients and with personal training. The difference with physical therapy is that they're in pain and somebody in pain just doesn't want to be in pain anymore. And that is a huge motivating factor to do whatever it takes. And that's why they'll do the 15 exercises that they might give you at, at a general outpatient clinic. They might do whatever to get out of pain. And that's kind of our shot to, to show them that 
we can integrate and make small sustainable changes in their life. And that's most likely going to have the biggest effect on preventing injury in the future for them. If they're able to stay active and maybe like they never do anything and then they get hurt and you're like, let's just do like three machines at the gym and you can keep doing that for two or three days a week. And if they do that for a few weeks and they want to do more then great, but you start small, make those changes. And that's probably going to have the biggest positive effect on their life. But if you come in there and you're like, you see how you walk, I'm going to look at your posture, your posture's all wrong. Like you walk wrong. Your one leg is longer. You're going to make them feel horrible. Like they're already in pain. They're already don't do much. They feel bad having to come into physical therapy in the first place. And then you're telling them that their body isn't right and they need to do all these things. They're never going to want to exercise or come back. That's just my view personally, but. Well, I guess we don't have any other questions. I'm just going to end with uh, a fun one. What are, what is, or are your favorite exercises? Okay. So yeah, I said R because there might be more. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to say the first one, Bulgarian split squats. One, because no one likes them. So it's kind of funny to give that to everybody. Like there's every personal trainer has a little bit of like, okay, I'm going to make you do this. Right. But also it's really hard for people to do Bulgarians with quote unquote incorrect form. Right. If you're worried about knee valgus or whatever, if that even matters, or um, I don't know, any other things that you could point out in, in like what you would consider bad form. If you have bad form on a Bulgarian split squat, you're going to fall over. So that's like an easy one to give to people and not really worry about if they're doing it right. Um, so I like that exercise from a training and physical therapy standpoint. And it also works on balance and neuromuscular control and strength and hypertrophy. So it kind of hits a lot of different things. Um, from a personal standpoint, I think that lateral raises are probably my favorite exercise. I didn't train shoulders for a long time because um, I, I would it didn't really feel right, but I went lightweight, high reps, really focused on the mind muscle connection and built into it over a couple months. And I really love that exercise. Cool, man. I like uh, how you mentioned Bulgarian split squats. Cause uh, like you said, um, I hate it, but I know how beneficial the exercise is. So I still do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to thank you again for, um, being on and joining us uh, you gave a lot of uh, good information for our listeners and um just kind of a final thing um if our listeners want to reach out and have questions for you um is there any way that they can get a hold of you either by email or social media or anything yeah sure um so my instagram handle is at jbirdfitness. that's with a u my last name is bird b-u-r-d and then my email is jburd 728 at gmail so you can hit me up there and thank you so much for having me on, man. This was awesome. It's really exciting. Uh, I love the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Elevated Performance Podcast. If you had a good time, please subscribe, like, share, and review on your podcast listening platform of choice. We can't wait to show you what we have going on next week. But until then, make sure to elevate your game.